Good evening, Red Hills. Nice to see you all. Never been down this uh, neck of the woods before, so it's a privilege to be here. Um, so tonight, as I was kind of waiting on the Lord, I tried to uh, let him guide and lead you know, the service and let him guide and lead me through whatever he wants to say. And I saw a, a scripture up on the screen as we came in. So if you've got a Bible, if you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. So 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. I suppose I should really say who I am really, shouldn't I? Um, So yeah, it's like, who is this guy? So my name's Chris Wickland, married to my beautiful wife Tracy there. And we have five children and we oversee a small network of churches called Living Word Church Network. And uh, yeah, so we've been doing that for about 11 years now. And over those years, God's given me a real heart for the church, both in a pastoral sense, but also prophetically. I find often when you have prophets and they deliver a message to the church, they are not always, but sometimes they lack a pastoral heart. They're very much like straight in there, but, but it lacks the, the other side of God's heart for his church as well. And so um, God's spent a long time blending that, that, that unique blend where it's both the prophetic and the pastoral. So I can really see both what God, where he wants to take the church, but also the pastoral element to help get the church to that place rather than giving it a good whack with a stick. Amen? Okay, so now uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 is actually really the end of something else. I'll just read the verse. It says, Since we have these promises, beloved... Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of flesh and spirit, making holiness perfect in the fear of God. Wow, there's some great revelation there. But what we're going to do is we're going to wind it back to verse 16 of the previous chapter, because actually that's the context. And it says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Any temples of God here tonight? Okay, yeah, so... We're all temples of the Holy Spirit, but we're also uh, living stones that form together to create the living temple of God. So that's, that's us. And it says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live among them and move among them. I will be their gods. They shall be my people. Therefore, come forth from them and be separate, says the Lord, and touch nothing unclean. Then I will receive you and I'll be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And then it goes on to say, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of flesh and spirit, making holiness perfect in the fear of God. So this is what I kind of want to talk a bit about tonight. And the Holy Spirit will just weave some things into there as, as he wills as well. So it's good when we get told occasionally that we have to be a holy people because the Lord our God is a holy God, right? But the often, the problem is when it comes to the things of holiness, I often find that it's like, well, we must do this, we must do that. And there's this sense of like, how can I make myself holy? Well, how do you do it? Do I, do I have this big tick box that I've got to like, yes, I woke up this morning and I had my quiet time and I did this and I didn't touch this and I didn't do that and I didn't do whatever. And then it's like, yes, look, I've done, I've achieved 32 things today. I'm feeling holy, right? That's, that's really quite not it. That's more about legalism than holiness. Jesus says in John chapter 14, he says, if you love me, you will 
obey me. So I, I always say that if people are having an obedience problem, it's not that they actually have an obedience problem, it's actually they have a love problem. And so the way to remedy our life with God is basically, or sometimes our lack of obedience to him, is just remedy the love side of it. That if we get the love bit right with God, then the holiness and the transformation comes. Because it's based on relationship. You, 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 everything that God has done from the beginning of your Bible to the very end is actually about covenant and it's about relationship. All of it. You know, in the beginning with Adam and Eve in the garden, God walked with them in the cool of the day. It starts with that. Then obviously came the fall. And then from that time, God was doing everything he could in his power to make it so that there could be reconciliation and peace between man and God again. It's like Job said, if only there was a man who could mediate between man and God. And so God's like, yeah, that is a prophetic statement because one day there is one coming who will be fully man and will be fully God and can mediate between the two. Hallelujah. Now this is a promise here. God will say, I will live with them and move among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. One of the things that I think God is prophetically really giving a call to his church in this day, and this is something I preach a lot on, is intimacy with God. Intimacy with Christ, intimacy with the Father, intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Now this is not some kind of um, super charismatic kind of super spiritual type thing where it's like, I just feel that I'm in love with the Father. It, this is something that is very deep, very concrete, very real, very tangible. But like any relationship, I don't know if you, I don't, how many people here are married? Okay, some of you are like, shall I put my hand up? Shall I leave it down? Okay, so, so a lot of you here, a lot of you here are married, okay? And, and I'm sure everybody here has a relationship with someone, whether it's a parent or, you know, or a friend or what have you. Now, I don't know about you, but if you want a marriage to work or a relationship to work, generally, you have to spend some time with them. Yeah, a bit of a no-brainer, really. First the natural, then the spiritual. And so, first and foremost, if we want to develop that relationship with the living God, then it makes sense that we have to spend a reasonable amount of time with him. Now, I don't necessarily just mean getting up in the morning and spending your, having a quiet time with him, but also learning to grow in the habitual presence of God, that he's always there, that he's always with you. And that's why the Bible says at all times, pray without ceasing and in all things, give thanks in all circumstances. It's coming into that place of constantly trying to make yourself aware that God is there and living in that living presence. In the Old Testament, in the, in the Torah, in the law, God would say things like, bring up your children in the way of the law. Talk, when you wake up in the morning, talk about it. When you eat lunch, talk about it. When you lie down at night, talk about it. And you read the book of Esther, not Esther, um, you read the book about where, I've lost the book, was it? It's Ruth, bless it, Ruth. So Ruth, the Moabitess, she comes to Israel. Now read the language, they're all in everything, they talk about God. God is in everything in their conversation. They were so conscious of his presence and always wanting to be conscious of his presence by always talking about him. And so how, how do we grow in that place of intimacy? Because you see, the reason why I feel like God wanted me to share about this tonight, well, I was praying earlier on, and it was quite simply, we're, we're, we're coming into difficult days. Now, you don't need to be prophetic to see that. Okay, just switch on Sky, BBC, whatever it is you've got. You know, you can see that trouble is coming. 
And that trouble's not going to go away because this is not one singular thing. This is a global thing. This is not just Russia. This is a global economic issue. This is not just a global economic issue. This is a global uh, famine problem with lots of countries having too much rain or not enough rain, etc. Um, there's, there's things going on when you spend 14 years quantitative easing into your economy on a worldwide scale. I don't know if you've ever done economics, not that I have, but I do know this, that if you print money, you devalue your money, which creates hyperinflation. Okay, so we've been doing this for 14 years on a global level, which means trouble is coming. Now, another thing that they can't do that they did back in 2007 is if a company's about to fall, they can't say, right, let's bail it out. Because if they bail it out, they will then create more inflation. They could do it back in 2007 because there was no inflation, but now we do have inflation. They can't do it. So we are coming into a difficult season and a difficult time. And God needs his church to be ready. We can't be caught unawares like the world. Because you see, there is only one group of people on planet earth that can give a revelation of God on the earth. And they won't find the answer in the government. They won't find the answer in the NHS. They won't find the answer in politics. They won't find the answer in economics. They will only find it in the one true God. And guess who's going to introduce them to the one true God? You lot. No one else is going to do it. Yeah? No, no president, no prime minister, no queen, no king. Nobody else can introduce people to God because you are ambassadors of another kingdom. Yeah, you have diplomatic immunity down here on the earth and you are ambassadors of another kingdom and you represent the kingdom of heaven. And that's why we need to be a people that live holy lives so that God dwells amongst his people and we want to see power in the church again. We haven't seen power in the church. Well, I haven't seen it. When I first got saved, which was a long time ago, but I got saved around about the age of 17. I'm now 15. So I got saved around about the age of, of 17. And, and there I caught the tail end of the charismatic renewal. And the power of God was there. But then it tailed off really quickly. And then that's how it was then, pretty much same old, same old for the last 30 odd years. And God wants to bring power back to his church again. Not so we can all have a good time, but because you see... It's because we, we don't love the power, we don't love the, the good stuff, it's because we love him. And, and it's like that church in Revelation, it's like we need to come back to our first love. You know, we're so sidetracked all the time by secondary issues and, and, and doctrinal things. Not that the doctrine is, is not good, because doctrine is good, and you need good doctrine, but sometimes we go off on tangents with it all, don't we? And we, we fight each other over things that really is really not that important. When actually the main thing is... Jesus. One of the churches in the book of Revelation that Jesus had to say, come back to your first love, is because this church was so obsessed with error, they were like experts at all the error that's going on in Christendom today, but by being so good at error, they took their eyes off the ball. And you know, they often say that the way to spot counterfeit money is to spend so much time looking at the genuine article that when you see something that's counterfeit, you see it straight away rather than spending all your time training to spot the counterfeit. You see what I'm saying? And it's the same with us. If we keep our eyes on Christ and keep our eyes fixed on him, we won't get sidetracked by all these secondary issues because God wants to dwell with his people. But his people need to be strong. His people need to be ready for the days that, that we're coming into. And, and what can't happen 
is one Sunday morning, you see some unbelievers come in through the church doors and have a peep in here, and all the Christians are running around like headless chickens going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Okay, because they'll walk straight back out the door and go, those guys are as crazy as we are. They haven't got a clue either. They need to come in here and they need to see that God is with us. And they need to see that despite the, the things that are going on in the world and in the nations and in our country and in our own communities, our God is with us and we put faith in him and not faith in the bank. And we don't put faith in politicians and we don't put faith in the NHS, but we put faith where it's deserved to be in the one true God. And another thing we don't do is we don't put faith in fear. Because fear is perverted, inverted faith. It's basically saying, God, I believe that that thing over there has more power to harm me than you have power to deliver me. That's what fear is. And that's why Jesus doesn't like it. That's why he always rebuked his disciples for it. You know, guys, what's with a little faith around here? Well, I was walking on water and I am kind of drowning. Yeah, but why little faith? It's like, come on, Jesus. He's like, Jesus is on a whole nother level, is he? Yeah. Sometimes it seems a bit unfair, but there it is. Therefore, come forth from them and be separate, says the Lord, and touch nothing unclean, then I will receive you. I find that remarkable that that's just thrown in there in the New Testament, you know. But there it is. And one of the things that I, I, I think God is saying to his church as well at this time is not just intimacy, but, but this, which is God is saying to the world, Egypt, let my people go. But he's also saying to the saints, come forth out of her, my people. Because we have a lot of Egypt in us. It's not a condemnatory thing, it's just a fact. All of us, in varying degrees and varying shades, we all have a bit of Egypt inside of us. And so what we have to be doing now is we have to get ourselves to a place and do some business with God. You know, if, you, if there's some people here, you might think, well, I, you know, I've got an issue that I've been hanging on to for about 20 odd years. Well, it's time to hang up the hang-ups. It is time to move on. Because you see, you can't be walking in unforgiveness. You can't be walking in bitterness. You can't be walking in things like that because those are the things of darkness. But if you want to be in the light as he is in the light, where there is no varying and shifting of shadows, then you've got to be in the light, which means you have to live according to the ways of light and righteousness. Hallelujah. Therefore, come forth from them and be separate. Now, that doesn't mean to say... You have to come completely out of the world, never talk to anyone, become a nun or a monk and just shut yourself in a little cloister somewhere. Okay? Or maybe, maybe God does call you that, I don't know, but that's generally not the norm, right? What it's saying is, is don't let the culture of the world dictate your identity. Your identity comes from the kingdom of heaven and actually you are a city on a hill that should shape and shift culture, not the culture shape and shift us. But the trouble is, is the church has capitulated to worldly culture because she's lost her boldness and she's lost her voice. And she won't speak out about things and say, you know what, enough is enough. You're not going to cross that line. And wrong is wrong and right is right. And we don't agree with you, world. And I don't care if you put us on the news and give us a hard time. I don't care if you persecute us or prosecute us. That is the truth and I'm going to stand by it. Rather than, well, let's just embrace it, let's just accept it, you know, let's go along with it and maybe it will go away. Because no, it won't go away. And those people are desperate to see the reality of God. People are so desperate, I believe, in, and will be very soon. They will be desperate for authentic Christianity. 
where you can be in the midst of awful turmoil, and yet in the spite of that, you are in a place of peace and joy. Because the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace and joy. And we need to manifest the kingdom of God. And people need to see that. So they say to you, well, how is it? <clears throat> you know, you know you've, I don't know, you've lost your job and all this sort of stuff like me. And, you know, how is it that you're in this place of calm and peace? And I'll tell you, that's the thing that's going to get many people saved. We are on the cusp, I believe, of one of the greatest revivals this world has ever seen. Now, some people will go, no, 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 no. I think we're too far to the end of days. It's the great falling away, the great apostasy. However... <clears throat> Did you know right now here in the West, there is an apostasy going on? Yes, you don't need to be a, you don't need to be a clever person to figure that out. But you know what's going on in the East? There's revival. So it's not that you have to have only one or the other. That's, that's very Western thinking, dispensationalist. It's either that or it's that. Well, why can't you have both at the same time? Why can't you have a revival and a great falling away. Well, Chris, it says in the end times there'll be a great falling away. Yeah, but it also says in Joel, before the great and terrible day of the Lord, i.e. when he returns, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, not bits of it here and there in wherever. So those two scriptures, they're not necessarily um, just for one period of time or another. They can be both at the same time. Now, wh where do you want to be? Do you want to be in the drift away camp? <laughs> You go, no, sir, no. Do you want to be in the drift away camp? No. no. Or do you want to be in a place where God's spirit is moving? Yes. Because we have an opportunity. And these are not false, empty words. These are not like just to make you feel good. I really do believe that we are coming into a time where it's both the worst of times and the best of times. The worst of times because it's going to be a right mess out there. But the best of times because in that mess, in that darkness, arise and shine for your light has come. And that God will use his people to be the source of blessing to the nations like we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. Not hiding away in some little church down the road somewhere where nobody cares. We will be a light in these dark days. If we choose to not walk and live by fear, but we choose to walk by faith and walk in a closeness to God and walk in a holiness with, to God. But not holiness for holiness's sake, because God's not interested in that. It's holiness born out of love and the fear of God. Now, when I say the fear of God, I don't mean a terrified, oh my gosh, I'm going to die kind of fear. But it is a reverential fear, understanding the awesomeness and the power and the greatness and the wonder, uh, I'm running out of words, wonderness, I don't know, of our almighty God, where you just, we just come to our knees. I, I have a friend, he's, he's in one of our churches, and he's in his 80s now, but when he was 17, his pastor, who was in his 80s, was in the Welsh Revival. And uh, he said to him, he said, you know, what, what was going on in those days? Because, you know, back in those days, they didn't have great worship bands and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, he said, you know, back in those days, it was a hymn and a thing. And then that was it. He said, what, what, you, what were you doing in there all night? You know, you did a hymn and a thing. And what happened? And he said, when the presence, of, and we experienced the, just a little bit of it tonight. What we experienced here tonight was beautiful. But, it, but the, the pastor said to him, the presence of God was so strong and the holiness of God appeared in such a measure that you didn't dare move. He said, you'd, come, you'd lie on the floor face down and you wouldn't dare. He said, you'd be stuck there for four hours. You wouldn't move. You wouldn't dare. You wouldn't even dream of it. It's like, because the presence of God's there. They learnt the fear of the Lord. 
not in a not in a negative way but in a beautiful way and it changed them and it transformed them and it transformed a nation transformed wales turned it around in a wonderful way therefore come forth from them let's let's do business with god let's get egypt out of our hearts when god gave us this word about the shifting seasons um, in july um, he's been doing a lot of business with us hasn't he i mean you know it's embarrassing when you're praying in the morning you're a church leader and then god brings you up on things that you've done which he's really not happy with it's like Ugh. you know things which as a as a church leader that i could justify i could put it in the budget or whatever and then god said to me and i'm not happy with that i want you to stop doing that um and, and showing me things in my own life my wife's been going through it as well but you, would you rather not go through the mill now and get yourself in a good clean place where those issues aren't affecting you anymore so that when god's in starts moving through his church in power you can be like first in the queue to receive what's coming because you see there's going to be two distinct moves of his spirit in the in this season we're coming into we're in it now actually it's began the first season is the wind of holiness and then the second season is the wind of power now the wind of holiness okay you got you got to have the bad cop before you get good cop right the wind of holiness is not an ex, is not a comfortable experience you know when Isaiah in chapter 6 where the glory of God manifested in the temple what did he say when he was when he, when he was before the living God he says woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean tongue, of an unclean tongue and then the, the angels came over and took the hot coals and put them on his lips and cleansed him but when he says woe is me I am undone in the Hebrew it implies literally he was unraveling you know when you get like a woolly jumper and you pull a thread it just goes it was literally becoming undone he was unraveled before the living presence of God it just literally inside was destroying him almost on a psychological level because he was faced with something he believed in and someone he believed in dearly but now he's faced with the holiness of God and the, and, the, and seeing this wonderful revelation of him and it just undid him I remember many years ago I was praying and God gave me this very uncomfortable experience and I was praying and then suddenly I had this feeling that he just flipped the lid of my head and took a look inside and I could see and I knew like I was known and it was a very uncomfortable experience because he knew everything inside of me that I didn't want him to know about that I kind of thought he wouldn't know about but in that instant I saw myself as I really am and I saw that he saw me as I really am that was a really uncomfortable experience it, it's like I don't know you know when you get those bad dreams well we don't need to go into the details but those bad dreams you have like you're on a stage and you've got no clothes on or something it literally it literally felt like that it was just a really uncomfortable experience but that is in part what the holiness of God will do but again it's not to shame us it's because in that revelation that he gave me at that time it was like he showed me something yes despite your foibles despite the darkness that's within you I still choose to love you and accept you in spite of that because it's about my grace and you've had a revelation of my holiness and that's how it's going to be and as God does business with his church you're going to see a lot of shifting in the church and this is this is the bad news but unfortunately I do believe 
uh, and I'll explain what, why. A long time ago, God gave me this, this uh, dream. It was actually my first ever prophetic dream. And in this dream, I was down the south coast of England and we were on this, on this beachfront and there were all these beach huts. You know, you know, beach huts look like, you know, all multicolored things. And then down the end of the beach huts was this old brick building, this stone building. And then from the sea came this tornado of fire and it was, it was the holiness of God. And it came at these beach huts which represented the ministries of man. Not necessarily things founded by the things of God, but ministries set up that were really for the glory of man. And boy, this thing, it came into the coast and it hit these beach huts and the heat was so ferocious, it, they exploded and vaporized as it was going bang, 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 right down the line, just consuming everything that claimed to be of God, but was not of God. And then eventually this, this fire tornado came down to the brick building at the end. And I saw this glory of cloud of the Lord descend and pulsating and flashing and glowing. And it's on top of this brick building. And then slowly the cloud removed and came up. Now in the next vision, I was taken inside the building and I suddenly saw the, the, all the walls were just made of these beautiful, gleaming, shining gemstones, thousands and thousands of them. I mean, the building must have, you know, in today's value, would have been billions and billions and billions. And, and this God was telling me, this is the purified church. This is what it looks like. And so that's what we're coming to. So I feel God wants to say to, to you guys as well, don't be discouraged and don't be alarmed when you see maybe some trusted church institutions either closed down or shut down for good. It's not because, it, there's multiple reasons for this, but in part, where we've got too much of the systems of Egypt within us, when God pulls Egypt out, some systems will have so much Egypt in them that there'll be not much left to hold it in place and it will collapse. But God wants to say to you that when those things happen, do not be perturbed. Do not be frightened. Do not be discouraged. These things must happen. There has to be a purging in the church. I mean, come on. Everybody in this room must know that the church is not in a good way. And then thus to be purging. Now, Judgment starts with the house of God. It is going to start with us. Now, God doesn't judge us like he judges the world. Because obviously for our judgment is a form of chastisement because he loves us and a good father will chastise his children because ultimately he wants us to get to a better place. And he wants us to be in a better place with him so that he can use us and trust us with his power where it won't be about men that are anointed or women that are anointed and they can like set up ministries to glorify themselves. But actually God wants to put his holiness and his power back in people so that he will get the glory and his church and his kingdom will be built. Amen. God doesn't want empire building anymore. He wants kingdom building. Hallelujah. So don't be perturbed and don't be discouraged when you see organizations and things fall. If anything, gather stronger together. God is going to use, to start with, for a short period of time, that, that you're going to get a rise and a resurgence of house churches and home groups. But those house churches and home groups will grow and grow and grow. And guess what? What happens to a house church when it keeps growing? It's not a house church anymore. All right? It becomes a regular kind of church. So, so for those that are into house church only, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but the church is going to grow and grow because there'll be so many people that will want to know Jesus. And here's another thing. God said you can't turn them away. Uh, God gave me a word for, for this church actually earlier on, so I'll just share that now. So it says, uh, do not despise the day of small beginnings. I'm sure we, we all know that one. Um, there are challenging days ahead, but don't quit. Just adapt and change uh, the mold as and when needed. In other words, 
don't just limit God to, well, this is how we've done it for the last 20 years. You've got to learn to be flexible. If something comes along and you have to change, you go, okay, okay, how can we keep on meeting and how can we keep on doing church even if we have to change things about it? How can we do it? Think outside the box. Go do that for a bit and then something else will come. And I say, all right, we can go back to as we used to do it, whatever. But you've got to learn to be flexible. It will be the churches that are not going to be flexible are the ones that are really going to struggle, struggle in the days ahead. Um, God delights in this little plant. And Jesus loves this little plant like he, like he loves little children. He thinks this plant's cute. It's like, it's so cute. It's such a cute little church plant. Um, and God has a plan and a purpose for Red Hill. Now, I don't really know much about Red Hill. I've just driven past it a few times, so please forgive me. Uh, but God has a plan and a purpose for Red Hill. Now, I appreciate you probably thinking, yeah, we've heard all this before. Uh, plans to prosper and not to harm. The fields are nearly ripe for the harvest, but you need to be ready, ready to catch the falling apples off the tree. And when the barrels are full, bring out more barrels. Don't stop. One of the things that God told me a while back was he will not be pleased with churches that say, I'm sorry, we've reached capacity. We can't cope with any more people. All right. That's just not an option. That is not the answer of no is not going to be in your vocabulary. If it's like the church is filled to capacity, it's like, OK, we need to think outside the box because quite clearly this building is filled. How are we going to keep growth coming in? You've got to be thinking like this. And it's going to be, there's going to be some poor church leaders where it's going to be wearying and it's going to be hard. Why? Because a lot of the church will have closed down. So the onus and the work, unfortunately, is up to those ones that are still running to take up the slack. So when those barrels get full of apples, get out some new barrels. But we haven't got any more barrels. Well, use cardboard boxes, use whatever it takes, but gather up those apples. We can't turn people away. In this day, in this time we're coming into, the onus is up to us. And unfortunately, just like in Jesus' day, guess what? The labourers are few. Oh man, they're so few. The church has been dying and consistently dying for the last hundred years. We have not kept up with church growth, has not kept up with population growth. So there's a lot of work to do. But hallelujah, because that means we're going to have new Billy Grahams and Mrs. Billy Grahams rising up. In, in this nation. We're going to see the rise of evangelists again. You're going to see those tent crusades rise again. Yeah. You're just going to see some wonderful things that many of us have longed to see for a long time. But this time it will be different. There's going to be something very significant and very different about this move of God. Now God is the same, he's unchanging, but there will be something very specific and unique to this word of God. There's a lot, so much more I could say, but I just don't think time would allow. But So the fields are nearly ripe, need to be ready uh, yeah, and the barrels, by the way, are house groups, churches, um, etc. So just keep growing, keep planting, don't stop, and don't quit. Don't quit, right? You can't quit, right? Because if you if you quit, who else is going to do it? Don't quit. It's so it's not easy, but there's just been times where Tracy and I have come to a point in our ministry where it's just like where sometimes it's been so discouraging in the early years. You're just like, well, I've gone as far as I can go with this. I just want to quit. But God will say, don't don't quit. You can't quit because it's in that moment of of where you finally hit that wall. Sometimes that's when the greatest miracles take place. Yeah, I'll give you an example. I, 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 we, when we first planted our, our first church, we did it the wrong way. We literally planted the church with nobody. I think we had Tracy's mum and her dad 
and, and like one or two other people, we managed to scratch together somehow. I don't know where we got them from, but anyway, we managed to grab them and bring them in. And that, that church immediately grew, but then it immediately didn't grow because it had one family that had 14 kids with them. It's like, yes, we've grown like by 200% this week, okay? And then when they've left, it's like, oh no, we've, 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 we've like diminished by 200%. And I, I just remember one day where there was like, again, it was just my wife, me, and a, a couple of our kids and a few other people. And that was it. And I just got to a point where it was like, God, this is, this is just not working. And that was the day then people just started walking in through the door. No rhyme or reason, they just turned up. And slowly but surely we started to grow and grow and grow. So I want you to be uh, encouraged by that. Where's Lara? Where's she gone? Hello, Lara. Um, I felt God says, well, sometimes you feel a bit overawed and underqualified for leadership. Um, but God says, obviously, you know all this, in our weakness, we are what? Strong. We're strong. Hallelujah. It's not by my, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit. The more as leaders we can learn to rely on the things of the spirit and less of ourselves, that's not to say you don't use your brain, but it, there is more opportunity for God to do wonderful things in the house of the Lord. And, uh, you know, your worship tonight, guys, that, that, was, that was great. There's not many churches, not being funny, but there's not many churches I go to where I experience the presence of God like that. Okay, so that's special. So, so be encouraged by that. Um, also, don't let the fear of man spoil your joy. Yeah. And uh, the Lord your God is with you. Be brave, be strong. And be very courageous, you know, like it says in the beginning of Joshua. What are we doing for time? Well, what time's it, everyone? You're okay, are you? Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do another hour, yeah, and we'll, we'll be... Okay, what's funny? No. So verse 18, it says, And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. You see, all this stuff here about being separate, don't be unclean, but be holy... It's because, and God wants to dwell amongst us, because it's God is our Father. And he wants us to be in his presence and he wants to be in our presence. But you see, even if you notice in the beginning of creation, it was only Jesus that we believe that was in the, gar the cool of the, the garden at the day because someone appeared in physical form and they walked with him and they talked to him. And then after the fall of man, then we have Jesus comes again in physical form, fully man, fully God. And then in the millennial reign, if you believe in the millennial reign in Revelation, it's Jesus and the Holy Spirit are on the earth and uh, while God the Father is in heaven still. But then when the new heaven and the new earth is made, then you get God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit on the new earth. But we can have the Father with us right now in this living temple if we are a clean people. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Those who have clean hearts and clean hands. This is really important. This is really key. And there is that place of ascending the mountain of the Lord. You don't just casually come in. There is a place where we have to ascend. Now, when they ascended the hill of the Lord in the Psalms of Ascent, they prepared themselves spiritually. They cleansed themselves so that as they were coming up into the living presence of God, they were in a place where they could come into the presence of God so that they could come boldly to the throne of grace. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of flesh and spirit. There's a lot of charismatic theology out there which says you can't defile your spirit. But that's not what that verse says. I would rather go what Paul says rather than the modern day preacher, with respect. Modern day preacher says, no, no, you can't defile your spirit. You know, you defile your flesh. So, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's not what it says here. Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of flesh and spirit. You see, 
We are tripartite beings. And if, if one thing is not in a good place, either flesh or the soul or the spirit, it affects everything else. So if your soul is not in a good place, it will cause your flesh not to be in a good place, and it will probably have a detrimental effect on your spirit as well. It's important that we are in a place that's right with God and that we learn to live from the spirit. Now, living from the spirit is not just about walking in the spirit, but it's also about living from your spirit rather than living from your soul. Because your soul is your will, your mind, your intellect. And it's the soul where, let's be honest, is where a lot of our bad attitudes reside and our imperfections and our, and our issues and stuff. But actually learning to live by it from the place of the spirit. I mean, it's a lifetime journey. It's not something you just like, OK, I'm going to do it tomorrow because it doesn't work like that. It's a process. But in that process, if we learn to walk by the spirit through the, our spirit, through the Holy Spirit, it will change us. It will change our soul and it can even have an effect on your flesh as well. Sometimes people can get remarkably healed when things within us are, are healed and, and, and dealt with. And God wants his people to be perfect. Now, perfect doesn't mean morally perfect. It means uh, in the context in Matthew 5, I think, where it says, be ye perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. The context is about love. So God wants us to be a people that really know how to love. But you see, how can we really love others if we really don't know the one who first loves us. When you get a revelation more and more of how much God loves you, then you're more inclined and more open to be kind and generous and loving to others. That's not to say there are lots of people out there that aren't very kind and generous and don't have that revelation, but that's the key thing. If we have an understanding of that love of God and that intimacy with God, it will enable us to be holy because if you love me, you will obey me. And therefore comes the holiness. And then in that place of holiness also comes the fear of God. As we, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. It, it's the beginning of which everything stands for. You see, if your knowledge doesn't start from, in the beginning, God, whether it's science, whether it's biology, whether it's astronomy, whether it's any kind of natural science, if your, if your lives and your thought processes don't start from the in the beginning God, you're in trouble. Because then everything you build your life on after that is not based on truth, but based on warped ideas on the fact that there is no God. So in every aspect of our lives, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. Yeah? And so everything must be about God. Everything must be about him. You're waking, you're sleeping. Every part of your life, your marriage, your family, everything must be about have God in it. And everything must be like if your marriage is, is, is going through a difficult time, well, then you've just got to work it out. You've just got to work it through. I'm very fortunate. I'm, I'm not an easy guy to live with. I've got a very easy life to live with. So I'm very blessed like that. But, but she, she's the saint in our marriage. She has to put up with me a lot of time. But you know what? We've got to work things through. We, we, I, I know you're probably thinking, well, we know this, but actually some of us just don't deal with these things. And, and we've got to do business with ourselves and start being honest. Say, God, I want to do business. Lord, we're going to come into a time of great shaking and I want to be in a place where you can use me. Now, God can use you wherever you're at. But I know too many people that have been used wonderfully by God, but they never really dealt with the character issues in their life. And unfortunately, the anointing didn't do them any favours. You go, why did God give them the anointing? Because it's not God's responsibility to make you mature. It's your responsibility to be mature 
and he will anoint anyone whom he pleases because he said, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. I don't care whether you're mature or immature. I will pour it out. But your job as saints and believers is to be mature in me. And I'll finish with that's why we need the fivefold ministry. Why are the fivefold ministry there? They're there to bring the saints to the fullness of the maturity of the stature of Christ. Ephesians 4, you've got the apostles, you've got the prophets, you've got the evangelists, you've got the pastors, you've got the teachers. They're there for the equipping of the saints. And this is why we've got to be careful as well. That, and I appreciate some of you here may have, may have been hurt in the past by church leaders or bad experiences of churches and stuff. But you know where we're going, we, we, can't, we can't, can't be like that anymore. Where we've just got to get over it. I know it sounds really harsh, but actually we do. Because, you know, leaders are not perfect. And guess what? Nor are the rest of us. All right? So I know, I know we put a higher uh, onus on leaders. And yes, there is a higher calling on leaders in the sense of they need to behave themselves more so than the average Christian. But nevertheless, you know, we're coming into a new place where, where we need to come together. And I'll end with this vision that God gave me years ago, and it was a beautiful vision. And he showed me what the church, the end time church looked like. And it was in this valley, the Valley of Decision, and it was under a blood red sky. And in the distance, the enemy was all lined up just on the line waiting to fight. And then marching towards them was the church. But she was in unity. And I tell you what, I've never seen anything like it. All of the church, all the Christians were walking in this gleaming, shining armour, just marching towards the front line. But then leading them amidst through all of these people were these mighty men and women of God, completely clad in armour, riding war horses, completely clad, clad in armour, right to the foot, shining, gleaming armour. And they were leading the church out to the final battle. And some people say, oh, you know, leaders, oh, there won't be any leaders. And of course there'll be leaders. God is immutable. God is unchanging. He's had leaders throughout all of living history. You know, when Jesus was feeding the 5,000, he said he felt compassion on them. Why? Because they were people without a shepherd. It's important. They're needful. They're needed. It's, a part, it's the very nature of the kingdom of God. In heaven, there are archangels, powers, principalities and dominions. There is structure. There is order. There is authority that flows from the throne through these angelic beings down onto the earth. And there is order in the church as well. So God's divine order can flow through his church and into families as well. There is kingdom order in the church. Uh, sorry, in your families. And this is what God wants to restore. Hallelujah. Lord God, we, we praise you and we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are a good God. You are a powerful God, Lord. You, you want your church to be ready for the days where well, the days have begun, but you want us to be ready, Lord God. And Lord Jesus, you know, like Gideon's army, Lord Jesus, we're only a short amount of people. But Lord, here we are. Use us. Send us, melt us, mould us, shape us, shift us, change us, Lord God, into the vessels that you want us to be, become, Lord. No, in noble vessels, you turned into vessels of noble use, Lord God, that you can use for your glory and your kingdom. And Lord, we pray you help us by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <laughs>